following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew is the first gospel, the first gospel in the New Testament. And if you uh, open up your actual Bible, it's on the right-hand side. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those would be the four gospel accounts of Jesus. We are in the first week of Advent, and as you can see on the banners on the wall, hope and love and joy and peace are going to be our themes that we are going to track with uh, week by week. Um, we also, don't forget, uh, have a resource uh, that you can purchase. Uh, we are using the book Gentle and Lowly to go through... Um, just uh, highlighting some things in regards to the passages that we are preaching week by week. Somebody asked me earlier uh, this week, they said, is there like a reading plan for that? Well, there's 24 chapters in um, the book, uh, give or take. And so if you read one of those a day, you'll be okay. And I know some of you are like, well, I haven't even started. Um, so that's, that's fine. <laughs> They're short and you can go ahead and, and catch up always. Um, also, approaching uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, I was not anticipating telling you that I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but Bethany, my wife, for those of you who are new here, who plays the piano and is our worship uh, director, she um, kind of let the cat out of the bag. So um, I am speaking to you this morning from a place of vulnerability, uh, but also with you in regards to Jesus' words here, looking at them and thinking, how do we do this? And let me just tell you something, the past two weeks have been absolutely ridiculously crazy, and with every single event that I found myself populating, the words of Jesus in the back of my mind were like, hey, Jordan, just rest in this. And every time I spoke back, I don't know how to do that. So I am so glad that, first of all, we serve a God who lets us ask questions, amen, and second of all, lets us have frustrations about the words that he said in the text. So this passage is a little frustrating, but man, is it fulfilling. So Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to be at this morning. Now, we don't often do this at Community Gospel Church in regards to the fact just start speaking on a passage right in the middle of the book. And so we have to kind of get a running start here. Normally what we do is we start at the beginning of the book and just walk our way through. And as we look at Matthew chapter 11, we wonder what happened in the first 10 verses, or excuse me, the first 10 chapters of this book. Well, first of all, Matthew is going to be our author. And Matthew was a man who had the name Levi before Matthew. 
Levi was a tax collector, and it seems that he wrote down an account about Jesus for his Jewish friends. So he's trying to tell all of his Jewish friends about who Jesus is and how Jesus operates and all the things that Jesus did that make him 100% God, but at the same time, 100% man. So when we get into the Gospel of Matthew, we have this detailed account in regards to the life and the ministry of Christ. Actually, it's not really that detailed, full transparency. The Gospels of Jesus are kind of, kind of lousy accounts about Jesus. Now you're looking at me thinking, can he say that? I did. I said it. Because what happened in the first 28 years? We get Jesus coming. He's a child. Then all of a sudden, it's like they push the fast forward button. For those of you under the age of 30, you do not know what a fast forward button is. And then all of a sudden, the man's like 28 and he's on mission. So I would love to know what happened to Jesus when he was an adolescent. But maybe he's like me and just grateful that it wasn't documented and that social media didn't exist in his time period. He's 100% a fulfillment of the law. Jesus never sinned. And so him and I would differ in that regard. So all of what Matthew says is he reveals Jesus, 100% God and 100% man, his divine natures. He's talked about miracles. He's talked about parables. He's talked about teachings. Jesus talks in very interesting ways. I mean, how does the God of the universe communicate things to simple-minded men? How does he talk to them? And Jesus talks to us in parables, and then he does miracles and all of those things. Now, Matthew's also highlighting something really interesting in regards to the things that are transpiring. Jesus starts to walk and talk and show himself to be the Messiah, and attention starts to grow between him and the religious leaders of the day. For those of you that don't know, the religious leaders of the day are also the law. So if you got in trouble in that time period, you would not have just gotten in trouble with the law, but you would have also gotten in trouble with the pastors. I'm so glad that we don't live in that society today. But what would happen is is that all of a sudden, these three types of uh, religious leaders rise to the surface. You have scribes, you have Pharisees, and you have Sadducees. And all of them are looking at Jesus, and they're essentially saying, we don't like you. Because you don't operate the way that we want you to operate. You don't do the things that we want you to do. They expected Jesus to become a political powerhouse. He was supposed to be the one that was going to sit on the throne and that he was going to remove all the oppression from society. And Jesus is not doing it. He was supposed to be the leader of all leaders. And when he came to earth, it was a sliver of the fact that he would be, and he will be, but it will come later at the second advent. The word advent simply means coming. So here, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, the stage is set because he is about to give people a choice. He is going to say you have a choice. Number one, first part of the choice is you can live a life that is dictated by this world's never-ending, hectic, chaotic schedules. Boo. (laughs) Or number two, You can enter into God's rest. And that's going to be our key word as we look at this passage. The word rest is so important. Because Jesus talking about rest is a call and a challenge against the worldly religious norms. It is a call and a challenge for guidance and hope in navigating life's daily pressures and burdens. Especially in the Advent season. As we hear Christ's words, 
and his call and his message this morning. It resonates in our hearts because it is Jesus truly looking at us and saying, be still, rest, know that I am God. You are striving for your own selfish endeavors often instead of being sanctified and set apart for a specific purpose. So I'm on a quest, just like you're on a quest, to know how in the world do we rest in the Lord? Well, let me stumble towards the finish line with you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus' words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, who labor and I will give you rest. Well, if we were going to put a checkbox next to that, I don't know about you, but I would put a check right there. I am laborsome and heavy laden. Now, there's a cello behind me, so somebody looked at me earlier and they said, here's the world's smallest violin playing just for you. And I said, thank the Lord that Jesus is the one playing the violin for me. First thing I have to do is acknowledge that I have a weary soul. Do you have a weary soul this morning? You have a weary soul this morning. Now, we always talk about context. So uh, verse goes to chapter, chapter goes to book, book goes to genre, genre goes to testament, testament goes to the entire Bible. And so in previous verses, specifically in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 27, Jesus made an amazing claim. And in those verses, Jesus said specifically that he alone has the power and the authority to reveal God's will to humanity. He also said that he alone is the only way in the cosmos for human beings to come to know God. No wonder the religious leaders of the day hated him. Because they were the ones that believed that everybody should come to them. They were the ones that believed that everybody should come and worship them. Now, they wouldn't say that outright, but their hearts gave testimony to it by what they did. Now, Matthew links with other gospel accounts. So if we link over to John chapter 14, you don't have to move there because I'll have it on the slides. Jesus also says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, at the end of his ministry, is getting a little tired of people not picking up what he's putting down. And so he says more and more openly that I am the Messiah, I'm the one. And he makes this extraordinary offer and invitation. Now, the invitation is in the text, and you can underline it. Come to me. You can't follow Jesus unless you come to him first. You can't find rest in the Lord unless you come to Jesus first. You must come to Christ now, circle that word, come. That's a really interesting word in the Greek. The New Testament is written in the Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We do word studies for a reason because they show us a little bit deeper about what the text says. The word come is both, number one, a command, but two, an invitation. And it's offering to approach or draw closer to see what Jesus' heart is really like. Essentially, what's happening and transpiring here is Jesus is looking at it. And he says, you want to see my heart? You want to see what I really look like? Come to me. 
You want to see what I really am like? <laughs> I'm reminded about uh, the fact that I took my uh, daughters to a hockey game just a few months ago. And uh, we were somewhat close, but they've only seen hockey in, in, uh, in TV. And uh, we had the chance where they were there and they could see it. And one of my daughters looked at me and they said, they're so big. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, isn't this so much cooler than football? <laughs> but up close and personal, they look totally different. One time I got the opportunity to sit front row at an NBA game. I've never seen humans that big in my life. Jesus says, come to me, a command and an invitation, approach him, see what he is really, truly like. Now, if you look at chapter 11, and you look at verse 16 through 19, again, in context, Jesus condemned people for not coming near to him as they misunderstood him. If you look at that passage, it says, he is a drunkard, and he is one who sits with tax collectors. In other words, there were some people that were too proud to come to Jesus, and so what they did was they justified why they didn't come to him by creating lies. And so here we see that Jesus speaks back to them, and he says, you cannot follow me unless you come to me first. Now, you can't just come to Jesus like a genie in a bottle and say, I'm coming to you, Jesus. Give me whatever I want. Here's my Christmas list. It doesn't work that way. Jesus says, you have to come to me for the right reasons. Notice Jesus invited specific people. He invited those who labor. That word is actually toiling. And those who are heavy laden or those who are being burdened. Now, what were the people in this time period laboring about and being heavy laden over? Well, that's easy. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees placed rules and regulations on people. And so what they would do is they would essentially look at people and they'd say, you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this in order to get right with God. It is amazing. Yesterday and, um, uh, yeah, Saturday night and Friday night, we had the Holy Walk and we had the opportunity to talk to so many people from so many different backgrounds and some of these people came from legalistic backgrounds that say you have to do this in order to get right with God. And we would tell them Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not of works. So what do you do with that? What do you do with the free gift? There are still demands that are being put on people from religious institutions that say that God will love you if you do this. And Jesus looks at it and he says, are you worn out with religion? Are you worn out with trying to work your way to God? Works-based labors before coming to Christ are useless. It is only after coming to Christ that our works turn into joyful worship. We do not work anymore, we worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Those are not laborsome anymore. Our joyful worship is done in adoration. It releases us of pharisaic legalism. Now, this invitation from Christ to come extends to all people, the neglected, the overlooked, all of those people. But what do you have to do? Number one, you need to repent from yourself. It is amazing how many times in the New Testament text it says repent, 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 repent. It does not say no, knowledge-wise, the belief of the existence of a creator. It says repent, over the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you put your faith and trust in Christ. You acknowledge that need, and when you do that, here comes the rest. D. 
Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, it's only because he became like us that we become like him. So, okay, Lord, I I get it. And look at the second part of 28, or I'm starting to get it, I think. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, verse 29. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Notice how many times the word rest is popping up. If you go and look up, um, just do a search about this passage of Scripture, and you look all over uh, online, you will see so many people that talk about the yoke, and they are missing the point of the text. It is not about the yoke. That is highlighting what Jesus is saying about being in rest. So he says, enter the rest of Christ. Now, Hebrews is a fantastic book in the Bible that talks about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. Again, you don't have to go there, but it links back to Matthew 11, verse 28. Hebrews tells us that there is a special rest waiting for those of us who are the people of God. So if rest is the key to understanding the passage, what does rest mean? Well, rest means to relax or find relief. It's what Jesus does when he eats with his disciples at the very last supper. He reclines, he rests, he relaxes. All of them are tense. It's like you at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Like all your relatives are absolutely crazy and you're like, I'm good. Everything's fine. We're all okay. Jesus is not, though, talking about just physical rest, but more the path that somebody takes to get to God. Coming to Christ simply takes faith. It's a receiving of the gift. You have to accept it. This world thinks that they must work hard to get into God's rest, into his grace. But in reality, coming to Christ in faith means we give up the impossible task of first and foremost carrying our own sin. How many of us are burdened because we're walking around carrying the weight of our own sin? There were people in this time period who are constantly thinking to themselves, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the family that I come from. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So he says, first of all, you do not have to carry your own sin. And we would ask, does following Christ mean we don't take on difficult circumstances? No, just the opposite. We actually run to those because we realize that there is somebody there to help us. And when we run to those situations and circumstances, we also realize that they're no longer work, but they're worship. And so here, Christ's rest does two things. First thing, and this is the highlight of the rest. This is Jesus using a sermon illustration. He's a really good pastor. He's using a sermon illustration. He says, if you do this, and if you do it right, if you come to me for the right reasons, if you put your faith and trust in me, just like you put your faith and trust in the chairs this morning, that they would hold you up, It allows you to be yoked with me. It allows you to be yoked with me. Now, some of you who are younger, that does not mean strong like you've been in the gym. He or she is yoked. That is not the proper terminology. Somebody uh, online, I will not say who, did a horrible illustration about that. I thought, man, you are way off. A yoke is a heavy wooden harness that fits over the shoulders of an ox or two oxen and are attached to a piece of equipment that oxen pull. 
Now, here's the crazy thing. It is believed that Jesus, being the master carpenter, made yokes. It's also believed in a legend that people came all over the place to buy Jesus' yokes because they were so good. And so Jesus had the opportunity to see his yoke come to fruition. And what he did is he took something out of his everyday life and he put it into the disciples' hands and all the people that were present. And he said, the yoke and the person that you can be yoked with does not have to be a burden. See, in the Old Testament, they said the law was a yoke and it was considered hard to bear. Look at Acts chapter 15, it's going to be on the screen. It says, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? In other words, what is happening here in the text is, you're looking at people who are coming to know Jesus, and the Jews are looking at it and say, we observe all of the law, you need to observe all the law. And Paul's like, they're free from the law, you're free from the law, why are you doing that? And they're like, I don't know, I don't know either. So why are you making it hard for them to be in a state of worship. Now what's happening here is Jesus is looking at the people and he's saying, I care about you. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your burdens. I'm concerned about the season you find yourselves in. I'm concerned about your situation. I'm concerned with all the things that are transpiring in your life. Isn't it good to know that somebody's concerned about you? Because some of you are looking at me going, there's nobody concerned about me. That's not true. Some of you are alone this season and you think to yourself, nobody cares about me. That's not true. Jesus says, I'm concerned about you. And he promises to guide and be present with you. And he also promises to give an ultimate future and reward in heaven. To be yoked with Jesus is to rest in the promises of God, knowing full well that he will carry them out to fruition with you by his side. Now, when I read this, I look at this and I think, well, that means I get a free ride. I'll just ride it out, Jesus. You do the work and I'll be in the passenger seat and wake me up when I get to heaven. And Jesus is like, that's bad company. You ever ridden with somebody that falls asleep on a road trip? It's the worst, especially if you're road tripping at night, right? All of a sudden, it's 10 o'clock at night. You're like, hey, I can't wait. You know, how's everything going? You look over to the right-hand side. You're like, I'm in this alone. Jesus is like, that's bad company. Stay awake. Let's talk about this together. Jesus is not saying it's a free ride. As a matter of fact, he's saying just the opposite. If you go back to chapter 10, verse 17 through 42, he's saying persecution is going to come. Rejection is going to come. What a good invitation to follow Jesus. He's like, hey, man, this is going to be a rough road trip. But at the end, at least you and I will be together and we'll high five and say, that was awesome. Here, Jesus looks at it and he says, it's going to get crazy, but I'm going to be right there with you because I like your crazy. And I love that Jesus likes my crazy. Being Christ's disciple does not look at it and say you're free from effort. As a matter of fact, it says there is extraordinary effort, but as his followers, we know our work, nope, worship, never results in dead-end work. It's never a frustrating cycle of guilt or depression from trying to please God by being good enough. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Look at verse 29. He says, that is where you learn from me. If you stay awake 
And if you keep eyes on me and we walk this crazy world together and we drive through all of these situations and circumstances that are going to get absolutely unreal, what's going to happen is you're going to learn from me. It's a way of Jesus declaring that he is the leader, first and foremost, but also affirming we can learn from his example. There are so many people out there that want heaven as a reward for salvation, and that's not necessarily bad. But they're missing the inheritance that is given to us for the here and the now. They're missing all of the things that happen when Jesus comes and he says, no matter what we go through, you can learn from my example. People miss Jesus's life was an example for us to follow. When he was on earth, he was the ultimate servant leader. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. In the Old Testament, the prophets declared the Messiah wouldn't be an unkind taskmaster. Isaiah talks about it, and Zechariah talks about it. As a matter of fact, they said, these are Old Testament prophets, that he would bring rest to the souls of his followers when yoked with him through faith. They said that he would have a gentle disposition. He would be mild-mannered, he'd be kind, and he would be humble. And that word humble is the word lowly. So if you look in verse 29, gentle, mild-mannered, kind, gentle disposition. In other words, somebody who you'd love to hug. Like, that's why I see Jesus, right? He's like, I mean, he looks soft, but yet kind of firm at the same time. I wonder what he's like. And then number two, it says that he is lowly, he is humble. In other words, you know that person is powerful. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody walks in the room and the room changes? That's Jesus. I love that about Jesus, by the way. Meekness is not weakness. His meekness, his emotions, his desires, his innermost thoughts of his heart speak to his people. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, it's on the slide. Jeremiah said, if you travel the Messiah's path, you will find rest for your souls. If you were, and I know you're reading Gentle and Lonely, I think that's great. It's a good companion to the Bible. It's not a replacement for the Bible. But if you would this season open up your Bibles and just mimic what Jesus does in the text, watch how your life radically transforms. Just do what Jesus does. How does he respond in this situation? How does he respond in that situation? You'll find rest for your souls. Now to the Jews, which is who Matthew's writing to, this offering of rest reminded them of the promised land. It was given to their ancestors. So if they were reading this text, they would have started to think about that. Jesus says, you will find rest for your souls means in entering to his rest or following him, you would be given power that is found in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. That means you have a teacher and a guide. I know a lot of you do this, and I'm I'm not downing you for this, but we can stop praying for the presence of God. He is permeating every inch of this place. In other words, we pray for the awareness of the presence of God. That changes everything. And so what Jesus says is, if you pray for awareness, things start to change. Because when you're aware of how much power you have within you, things start to change. When you're aware of how much power is within you, you're given freedom from cares and burdens that rob you of peace and joy. So all the things that are transpiring this past week or this week coming up or this month or all that other stuff, you can sit in that and you can say, there is power in being meek because meekness is, weak, is, is powerful. Meekness is not weakness. God's got this. He's going to move in this. 
He's going to be powerful with this. He's going to assure me that my eternal destiny is secure. And even if I fumble and fail in this situation, he is still going to see that there will be fruit that is going to be produced. And he's still going to give me confidence to trust that he began a good work in us, will perfect it at the day of Christ Jesus. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 25, that's a powerful passage of scripture from the prophet Jeremiah, for I have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrow. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is we speak into our situations. We look at our situations and we say, well, they may seem out of control. The sovereign God has those. So for those who are following Christ, to find rest in their relationship with him, freedom from guilt over sin, deliverance from fear and despair, a promise of continued help and guidance from the Holy Spirit. Christ is the pattern to follow. Who do you follow your life by? You have to enter into the rest of Christ. Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me and my example. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I love verse 30 because it's a culmination from the preacher. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here's the offering on the table. The offering on the table is, you let the Lord lift your burdens. And the first question that comes from that is, number one, will you take the easy yoke? And let me just walk through this with you, church, because I've been there this whole past week. What that means is when you get into a situation and circumstance, you have the opportunity to stop and to pray and to say, Lord, you and I need to walk this together. And I have no idea what that looks like but I'm going to trust that you do. And I'm going to trust that you're going to work on my heart. And I'm going to trust that you're working on other people's heart. And I'm going to trust that you're working on the church's heart. And I'm going to trust that you're working on the community's heart. And I'm going to trust that you're going to help me to be faithful in the process. Jesus' call here is for one to change their way of life, to turn away from themselves and to come to him. It means that we take not just every thought captive, but every moment captive. Jesus tells us that his way of life, his teachings, his path isn't burdensome or difficult to bear. It is different from those heavy and demanding yokes that were put on the people in regards to legalistic offerings. In the New Testament, following Jesus brings a sense of ease and relief because it removes the weight of sin and gives a proper opportunity to worship. In the seasons that I found myself in in this past week and looking forward into the weeks to come, I've had to change my perspective and say, God, I see those as opportunities I don't want to jump into. Help me to see them as opportunities of worship, to be fully present in that moment. The second question is like the first, but will you let the burden be light? Jesus contrasts his burden, responsibility with the burdens that were imposed by the religious leaders of the time. He's offering a different, a better, a lighter way, free of religious legalism and strict adherence to the Old Testament law. Faith in Christ, in other words, and living according to his teachings are liberating and provide a sense of inner peace and rest. How do we know that to be true? Ready for this? 
Adam's first day of existence, Adam's first full day of existence is the seventh day. What is the seventh day? It's a day of rest. Noah gets out of the boat after a season of rest. The people in the Old Testament are searching for the promised land, a place of rest. All worship has to come out of rest. Because if it doesn't, it's just work. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Because it comes out of a place of rest. What makes Jesus' yoke easy and his burden light is his own active obedience. Jesus carries the burdens that we were meant to carry, which means he can apply or impute to us through faith his righteousness. Our obedience in faith to Jesus becomes our spiritual act of worship. That's Romans chapter 12. If we are indwelt by his Holy Spirit who molds us into the image of Christ, that is sanctification. And in the process of sanctification, if we have the right perspective, the burden is light. The life lived by faith is a much lighter yoke and a much easier burden to carry than a heavy and burdensome yoke of self-righteousness because Christ carried it for us on the cross. You do not have to work to be acceptable to God. Church, that's the biggest prayer for the first week of Advent. Because this season, we find ourselves so often frustrated. We're working. We're like, Jesus, do you love this? Jesus, do you love this? Jesus, do you love this? He's like, I love you. I love you. An old rabbi once said, my burden has become my song. It's not that the burden is easy to carry, but in Christ, it's laid and carried on us in love, which makes even the heaviest burdens in this life seem light. It's only through faith in Christ that our burdens can become a song. And so the question on the table is, which song are you singing? Because let me just tell you full transparency since we're doing confession today. I wasn't singing a good song this past week. I looked at it and I was like, Christ, this burden is not fun. And he's like, well, your attitude stinks. There's a story about a man came upon a little boy. He was carrying a lame boy on his back. The old man looks at the son. He says, that looks like a heavy burden to carry. The boy who's carrying the boy looked at him. He said, it's no burden at all because that's my brother. The burden given and carried in love is always light because Jesus promises to carry us. One of my favorite songs by Bill Gaither is the fact that he will carry you. It's a promise to rest, that he will carry us. And if we look at all this passage of Scripture in context, there were so many people in the New Testament and few privileged and educated classes in the New Testament turned to Jesus. They just would rather work for it. They felt comfortable and secure, satisfied with their achievements in life. But then these helpless people came in and they were weighted down by the world's demands. And you know where they sat? They sat at the feet of Jesus. Just listened to him talk. I'm wondering how many of us this season are constantly striving to do 
instead of just be at the feet of Jesus with his word. I cannot tell you how many times last night and Friday night I heard familiar verses. And I thought, oh, we're done with that station, moving on to the next. And then I thought to myself, hold on a second, Jordan, wait, wait, wait. The prophet Isaiah has just prophesied that a baby shall be born in a manger for you. Jesus comes to us in our need. He satisfies the deepest needs for us, which sets us up perfectly for the table in which we take with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this, this, this passage is, is tough because the tangibles in the text come in the most trying times. It's not going to come to us here. It's not going to be in the sanctuary because right now it's, it's still. It's a quiet morning. It's going to come when we leave. It's going to come when we, when we take off from this place. It's going to come tonight. It's going to come tomorrow. And it's going to come the next day and the next day. And with each passing day, we're going to wake up. We're going to feel anxious, frustrated, and feeling like we need to get it all done. And you look at us, Lord, and you say, you need to breathe and to be still and to rest. Our work is not bad, Lord. But our work, when it's done well, can be an act of worship. So I would pray, as we start into the Advent season, that we do not just shelf all of our efforts, and that we do not look at the things that we have to do, but we would evaluate them and see what is truly worship and what is more self-driven. And God, we ask that you would help us to realize the importance of focusing on the things that sanctify us and set us apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of the things that are self-serving. And may we honor you, Lord, because you go with us. You stand beside us. You stand behind us and you dwell within us when we put our faith and trust in you. May we rest in that truth today. And God, may you help us to live that truth out in our tomorrows. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.